today what I really want to talk to you about is maturity and how to be spiritually spiritually mature. And if you look up the word maturity in the dictionary, it's going to say this. It's going to say having reached a desired or final condition to be ripe of relating to or characteristic of full full development, either mental or physical. And maturity, let's face it, maturity isn't measured by the number of years you've been doing something or you've been alive. Let's face it, some people never grow up, myself included. I still like watching Bugs Bunny, you know? And um, I'm not ashamed to say that. I, I just like it. It's just funny. But and if you have a problem with that, we can talk outside afterwards. No. Um, I've got to get rid of this gum. I feel like I'm from Brooklyn or something. Anyhow, but this morning, I don't want to talk about mental or physical maturity. I want to talk about spiritual maturity. And it's something that I, you, know, you just see from time to time, not only lacking in people, you see it lacking in local churches, you see it lacking in the church as a whole throughout the world. And do you know when you can know when you're starting to mature spiritually? There's a couple of different things. First, it's when you can sense your concern for others outweighing your concern for yourself. It's very simple. There's another one, too, along that line. When you can sense your concern for being obedient to Christ outweighing your concern for yourself. And if you listen to those two things I just read, there's a lot of the word you or your or yourself in there. And you know why? Because not only are we part of the problem, we're also part of the solution. Okay? And it's really about a reality check. I remember in 2001, we were at a church where we were youth leaders, and uh, they had a big rally in this denomination. We went out to Columbus, Ohio, 10,000 kids. We had the arena for the whole week. And uh, the name of the, co- the, the, the tagline for the conference was Reality Check. It's not about you. That's what I want to talk to you about today. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about our walk with the Lord and how we can become spiritually mature. D.L. Moody said this. He said, I've had more trouble with D.L. Moody than any other man that has crossed my path. You know what? I agree with him 100%. I've had more trouble with Anthony DeBrito than any other man that's crossed my path. And I remember when I was uh, just kind of young in my career, I was working at an insurance company, and they, they said, wow, you, you have management potential. Why don't you be a manager? And I really told them, I said, I appreciate you know, the, co- uh, the vote of confidence. I said, but you know what? I have enough trouble managing myself. How am I going to manage other people? And that's the way it is. The trouble is, is with ourselves. We don't even have to have any other people in our lives to have trouble or to struggle to be mature. It's really about ourselves, and that's what I want to talk about today. Now, on the converse, how you can tell you're starting to mature spiritually versus how you can see you're immature. And this is really where the rubber meets the road. And the way you do that is you start to listen how much of your speech is aimed at justifying your actions. Again, that word, your. And how come, how come we find it so hard to act and allow that act to just speak for itself? How come we have trouble with that, even as humans and as Christians? How come we just can't let that act speak for itself? No, we got to explain it. We got to justify it. We got to demonstrate the righteousness of it. Or here's another one. Or we would attribute other people's errors as character flaws, but we attribute our own errors to our circumstances and and our environment. Right. Clever, aren't we? Well, that person, it's a character flaw. 
us, oh, it's the way I was brought up or whatever. That's just a, a way of justifying your immaturity. And why do we always feel we need to set the record straight? That's a good question. Thank you, France, asking that. It's because of two things. It's because of pride and it's because of fear. And do you know what your reputation is? You know, it, it's, it's, it's always because our reputation is at stake. And it's something that we really have to come to grips with. You know what? Do you know what your reputation is when you give your life to Christ? You don't have a reputation anymore. Do you understand that? You don't have a reputation anymore. So just forget about my reputations at stake. Okay? In Philippians 2.7 it says, But he made himself of no reputation. Talking about Jesus. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Three things he did. He made himself of no reputation. He became a bondservant, which we'll talk about in a minute, which is not a, a, a high esteem uh, position. And also he came in the likeness of man, who was God. No reputation in the Greek is kino. And it means to empty or to make empty. So Jesus emptied himself, made himself of no reputation for us. And did he do it to be popular? No. Did he do it to show us how great he was? No. He did it because he loved us. He did it because he came to serve and not to be served. He did it because he became sin for us who knew no sin. He emptied himself so that we, we can be filled with himself and made into his image. Do you understand that? Just as Jesus emptied himself, being full of the Holy Spirit, we need to empty ourselves of ourselves and be filled with Christ. That was the model that he was talking about in Philippians 2. And the other thing, you know, there's, there's a great quote, and you probably heard it already. How do you know if you're a servant, right? And the answer is, is by how you react when people treat you like one. And that is so true. How do you react, react when a person treats you like a servant, like a bond servant? We know how Jesus did. And the, and the other thing that we really need to start doing, too, is we need to ditch our imprisonment to what people will think. And you know what? We all fall into it. I'm not pointing fingers about that because I do it too. We all need to really ditch that imprisonment to, you know, what will people think? What will people think if I do this? It's called walking by sight and not by faith. If you live that way, by what people think, it's by walking by sight and not by faith. And we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. You know what we need to be asking? We need to be asking, am I obedient to the Lord and his word and the Holy Spirit's leading? Another question you should be asking, have I prayed about this situation? And thirdly, have I done a heart check? Are my motives pure? Are my motives pure? Instead of what will people think, we really should be looking at the inside first before we go and do anything. And making sure we're obedient and hearing from God. Not just going to do something for doing something's sake. And what I want to do right now is the scripture for today is James 1, verses 1 to 13. I want to read that to you. And then we're going to go into looking at being spiritually mature. He starts off saying, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, 
who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen <coughs> excuse me, with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And I love the book of James. I went through the book of James is the first book I went through on on a Wednesday night study when I started doing those. James is a practical book. James knows how to hit you between the eyes and just lay it on the line with you. That's what I like about James. He doesn't he doesn't pull any punches like this fly in front of me. Um, <laughs> but I want to talk about how James starts this out. He says, James, a bondservant of God. You remember, James was Jesus's brother. First, I can't even fathom that, knowing that your brother was God in the flesh. But he dealt with it. But he dealt with it in a really, really interesting way. He calls himself a bondservant of God, a bondservant of his own, his own brother. And the word for that is doulos in Greek. And it really just means a slave, voluntarily surrendering, one who serves in obedience to another's will. And you know what? There's four Greek words for servant, but James chose the one that represented the lowest of the low. James was a humble guy. And that word showed that he was the one that sought to do what Jesus wanted him to do. No questions asked. A doulos or a bondservant in ancient times would never say to his master, Hey, master, you know you told me to do something today. I'm tired and I ain't doing it. That's not what a bondservant does. A bondservant says, Lord, you asked, I'll do it. Period. No questions asked. That's what a bondservant does. It's like that Nike ad. Just do it. Just do it. That's what God requires of us. Just do it. I want to go over four characteristics, and there's many more than this, but God put these four on my heart for this message. Four characteristics of spiritual maturity. And the first is actually in verse 2 where it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into trials. Count it all joy. Now we know trials are not usually fun. But God uses them for a specific purpose, and that is to mature us, as we'll see later on. But he says, count it all joy. You know, one of the biggest characteristics I see in spiritually mature people is they're people of encouragement. And I'm not just talking when things are good. These are the people that can encourage you even though they're going through a tough time. And they can have joy in spite of the circumstances. And I'm talking about artificial joy, that fake smile. I'm talking about sincere joy, even though they may be hurting. And you know how they're able to do that? They're able to do that because their hearts are fixed on God. Their hearts are fixed on walking in the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can do it. Otherwise, it is phony. But one of the highest callings as Christians is that of encouragement. We ought to encourage each other. We ought to cheer each other on. Onto the finish line, right? Onto the end of the race, as Paul says. It's easy to laugh at men's morals 
and, or their lack thereof of their morals, it's easy to discourage others. Let's face it, I think we all have a market on that in one way or another. You know, the world's full of discouragers. Dime a dozen. Not a problem. We don't need to do that in the church. Yet we do. But we don't need to do that. The word of encouragement or thanks or appreciation may be all a person needs to keep going. And I can personally testify to that when we were going through all the cancer and, and, and the treatment that my wife was going through. I can't tell you how many times just a word of encouragement just kept me going when I wanted to quit. I just wanted to quit. And all it was was maybe a pat on the back. Hey, bro, I'm praying for you. Maybe it was a phone call. Maybe it was a, just an email. Maybe it was a letter. But encouragement is so, so important. And we need to do that. We need to build each other up. We don't need to tear each other down. That's easy. You know what? And, that, and that's for people that are, that are weak to tear each other down. We need to build each other up. In the Psalms, it says, in Psalm 11.3, it says, I'm sorry, not in Psalms. It says, those who have sown the seeds of tears will surely reap in joy. Why is that? Why that we have sown the seeds of tears? Why, when we have something terrible happen to us, we can reap in joy? It's because in 2 Corinthians 2.17, it says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The reason we can encourage each other when we're going through the tough times is because, you know what? It's not about a short-term solution here. God has us all as works in progress. And what he's trying to do is get us to that finish line as, and be as much like his son Jesus as possible. And on the way, bring in as many people as possible into the kingdom of God. He's trying to make us spiritually mature. Part of the way we do that is by encouraging each other. Is by encouraging each other. And, you know, we need to not only encourage each other, we need to invest in each other, too. We need to invest in each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's a great quote by Dale Carnegie. You've probably heard of him, obviously, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He says this. He says, you'll develop more in the next two months by taking a sincere interest in two people than spending the next two years trying to get people interested in you. Isn't that the truth? It's not about you. Reality check. It's not about you. It's about your brother in Christ. It's about the Lord. And if you get your eyes taken off yourself, now I'm not saying on your daily walk, but your eyes taken off yourself where you're the be-all, end-all, and you get it on your brother or sister in Christ or maybe someone that doesn't know Christ, boy, that's an investment that's really going to have a great return on investment. Secondly, a characteristic of spiritual maturity is humility. And this is one of the best definitions of humility I ever heard. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You get that? I'll read that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It takes the emphasis off of you and onto others. And you know what? If you could still minister when you're hurting, then you're spiritually maturing. And that's not an easy thing to do. If it's all about you... If it's what's in it for you, if, if it didn't work out the way you wanted it, I did this, I did that, then you're still selfish and you're spiritually immature. It's simple as that. Because all your eyes and all your, your thoughts and your energy is on you. And one of my spiritual mentors said this to me. He goes, if you really want to see what's inside of a person and see their maturity level in Christ, he says, watch them when things don't go right. Watch them when things don't go well. And I thought about that, and I started to observe. 
But you know what he was doing all the time? This guy, was a, he had some wisdom. He was on the outside saying, watch them, watch other people, and you could tell how spiritually mature they are. But what he was really doing, subliminally kind of, on the inside, he was saying, look inside yourself. That's what I want you to look at. Look inside yourself when things don't go well. How do you react? How do you react? Do you have a pity party? What is it? What do you do? Do you, do you just fall and ask for God's grace and mercy? But he was all the time, he was trying to say, watch people. But really he was saying, watch yourself. How are you maturing, Aunt? That's one way you can tell how you're maturing. And we had this, um, my, uh, the pastor that married my wife and I uh, a while ago, uh, her name was Jeannie. And um, this woman just knew how to rise above the occasion. Uh, she always had time for people at the back of church, the you know, pastor's wife. She was always gracious, even though you knew there were things in her life that she was dealing with. And we knew her very well personally. And we knew Jeannie had some tough Sundays. You'd never know it. You'd never know it. You know, and some people would say, well, well, that's just being phony. It's not being phony. It can be. But we knew with her it wasn't being phony because we knew this was someone who was able to put her own issues aside and rise above it through the strength of the Lord to minister to people. What an inspiration this woman was to me. Always gracious, always kind, even though we knew she was hurting inside. She wasn't a phony. She was a spiritually mature woman of God. And what also happens in humility, too, is that great verse. Humility really talks about acknowledging my weaknesses so that his strength can be made perfect in it. That's part of it, too. That's part of becoming spiritually mature, knowing we can't do it on our own, knowing that we have weaknesses. But what do we do? We acknowledge the weakness so what? His strength can be made perfect in us. That's what I want. I want to acknowledge my weaknesses. I want his strength. His perfect strength to be made perfect in me. That's how I'm going to grow. And who did this in the Bible? Joseph. Joseph is just one character study that you all should look at. He showed humility by refusing to remember the offenses against him. You know what he named his first child? Manasseh, meaning to forget. Because he wanted to forget everything his brothers and his family did to him, just leaving him for dead. And in Genesis 41... Uh, 41.51 it says, And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He was able to put it aside. And in order for us to truly forget, God has to do the erasing. We can't. We can forgive, but forgetting, I mean, we might be able to forget to the sense that, you know, we, we're over that and it doesn't affect us anymore. But our brains won't let us forget. It's, it's in there on the videotape. It gets played over. In Isaiah 54 it says, Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth, and the approach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. God allows us to forget. This is saying that we can forget because God will take the place of all those awful memories. If you want to forget them, give them to the Lord and let God replace them. Let God replace them. That's a tough thing to do sometimes. Third uh, characteristic 
of spiritual maturity is consistency or what you want to call faithfulness. Don't you just long for people that are faithful and consistent? Their yes is yes and their no is no. You know, a lot of times at work, I, I just sometimes I, I get a guy that's just not faithful and, and I'm a project manager, so I'm dependent on him doing his job in order not so much for me to be successful, for us as a team to be successful and as a company to be successful. But you might just have that one missing link, man, that guy that just isn't consistent and faithful. And it's tough. It's tough to work with that. You've got to keep encouraging them and keep on them. But you have the other guys that, you know what, they come to you before you even ask the question, how are you doing or how are you or where are you in this project? I love those guys that just feed you the information. I, I could just sit back and receive it. And then if they need anything from me, then I can go help them out. But that faithfulness. In verse 3, it's talking about that here. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's all about the testing of our faith. That's how we become spiritually mature. The term used here in the Greek for testing was used for coins that were genuine and not desecrated. So what's it saying here? The testing of your faith. It's saying people that are spiritually mature have a genuine faith. Just like these coins. They're not desecrated. It is a true and genuine faith. That's what he's trying to work into us each and every day. In 1 Peter 1, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. We've all been there. That the genuine, genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants our faith to be. He wants our faith to be tested. Even though it grieves us, even though it tests the genuineness of our faith, but it's much more precious than gold that perishes, even though we get tested by fire, he wants us to be found with praise, honor, and glory when Christ reveals himself again when he comes back. And I like what Charles Spurgeon had to say about faith. Spurgeon said, if you had no faith in the Lord, you wouldn't have any enemies. Isn't that true? I mean, think about it. So basically, faith is our bullseye to both the world and the enemy. It's like that Far Side comic. I don't know if you guys are ever in the Far Side comics. Uh, they're pretty funny. And it has two deer just standing next to each other. And the one deer goes to the other. And he goes, bummer of a, bummer of a birthmark, Bill, right? And you look at the birthmark. It's a bullseye on the deer, you know? So, I mean, the guy had no choice. But that's what it's like. We have a bullseye on us because of our faith. It's because of our faith. And, you know, you can believe in crystals, you can believe in Buddha, Scientology, provolone, whatever you want to believe in. You know, it, it really doesn't matter. And by the way, especially if it's sharp provolone, that stuff smells like dirty socks. I don't know anyone eats it. But anyhow, Satan's not going to bother you. Satan's not going to bother you, right? There's no need to because it's who you have your faith in. It's who you have your faith in. And it's not how much faith that you have. Again, we only need a mustard seed, but it's who you have your faith in. In verses 6 through 8, he talks about being doubting and driven by the sea. He says, don't doubt and don't be driven and tossed by the wind. Don't be driven by every new fad that comes out in the world, let alone in the Christian world. Did we hear about that last week from Pastor Joe? About the whole seeker, uh, the whole seeker-friendly concept and how it had failed miserably? You know, it's great for numbers, but, you know, not for mature Christians. It's great if you want to pack a house. Thankfully, 
the pastor found, you know, uh, came to his senses and found that it wasn't working and was repentant of it and was humble enough to admit it, which is awesome, which is awesome. But he also says, don't be double minded like the double minded man. who, And that really means you have two minds, like two brains. You know, one is lost and the other's out looking for it. But anyhow, what's the result of that? What's the result of that? You're unstable in all your ways. That is the bottom line. If we're going to be driven by everything that comes down the pike in the world, everything that comes down even in the, in the Christian world as a fad or whatever, it's the latest thing, whether it's the banners, you name it. There's been so much junk out there that takes away from the gospel. We become unstable in all our ways. If we're mature Christians, we're going to be having consistency and faithfulness. And that's going to be the exact opposite of that. In Psalm 11.3, it says, If the foundations of the righteous, i.e. their faith, is destroyed, is destroyed, what can the righteous do? If we don't have our faith anymore, what do we have? Because it's faith in Jesus. If we don't have faith in Jesus, we have it in a crystal or whatever else it is, it doesn't matter anymore. It's meaningless. But we have to have our faith in Jesus. And one thing you really have to remember too, we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't fear the enemy. But if we do fear the enemy, what we're doing is, is then we're saying we have more faith in our adversary than in Jesus Christ. And that's a very serious mistake. We shouldn't fear. Yes, things can get fearful. I'm not saying you shouldn't be frightened ever in your life. But we should always be reaching out to the Lord in faith and trusting him. Last but not least, the fourth characteristic I want to talk about is brokenness. You look at persistent prayer and fasting and studying the Bible and meditating on the word. And they're designed primarily for our sake, right? God doesn't need to pray or fast or study the Bible. They're really for our sake and for our spiritual maturity and for us to grow. The noted philosopher Kierkegaard said that Christians reminded him of schoolboys who wanted to look up the answers to their math problems in the back of the book rather than work them through. Don't we yearn for shortcuts all the time? We don't want to go through the trials. We don't want to be purified by fire. We don't want to go through that. Lord, just, just, just make us holy today and, and we're done. Lord, make me mature today. Forget the trials. But it's so true what Kierkegaard said. You know, shortcuts usually lead us away from growth and make us immature. Because we don't want to go through those things and earn and develop character in our lives. And if you apply this principle, this principle itself, to directly to, like, say, someone like Job, I mean, what was the final result of the testing that Job went through? This rabbi had a great quote. He said, faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it is the result of having been shaken. Do you understand that? We need to be shaken in order to not be shaken when those times come. That's why God did all that to Job. Not because he didn't like him. Not because he wanted to destroy him. He wanted to build him up. He wanted him to be a mature Christian. A mature believer in God. And it said, Joel never said anything. I'm sorry, Job never said anything against the Lord. And the problem is, is some of us haven't been broken in the area of, of our lives. So we haven't been broken yet. But some of us haven't been broken because we don't want to be. <laughs> And we fight God at every turn, in every corner. Lord, I don't want to be broken in that area. I like the way I am in that area. God 
doesn't want us to stay the way we are. God wants us to be mature. He wants us to use. He wants us to bring people further up and higher into the kingdom. He wants to use us. And, and there's so many things we don't even realize how God can use us. Because we don't have confidence in ourselves. And we shouldn't. Our confidence should be Jesus. And God want, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and he breaks him. And if you look at it, we fight by faith. If you look in Ephesians 6, when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God, it talks about taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. How many of the fiery darts? All of them. That's a guarantee. That's why faith is so important. That's why it's the foundation, it's the bedrock of our walk with the Lord and trusting in Him. And how come? Because when we trust God for the outcome, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. At the end of this portion of Scripture where He's talking about putting on the whole armor of God and what each piece of armor represents, He says to be watchful to this end and with all perseverance He talks about. I mean, think about it. Why would he do that if we have all this armor on? Because it's still tough. It's still a war. We still need to be consistent. We still need to be faithful. And that's what's going on here. He's saying, even though you have all this armor on, and you know what? Don't forget any piece of it. Don't just take the shield of faith and think you're, you're a home run. You need every piece of armor. He says, when you do that, though, when you do that, also watch be watchful for what's going on around you in your little world, in the world at large, even maybe in your home. Be watchful. And also, with all perseverance, you know what? Don't quit. Be consistent. Be faithful. That's how we become spiritually mature. Don't quit. Don't quit. In his book, Men of Action, Chuck Swindoll talks about what it means to be broken. He has some really good insight in this. He says, I'm intrigued by the word broken. It means literally shattered. My sacrifice to God, according to Psalm 51, 17, is a shattered spirit and a bruised heart. I mean, broken sounded bad enough, but a shattered spirit really just sounds like disintegrated. A shattered spirit and a bruised heart. It's not until the pride of our heart is shattered that we will begin to understand the deep things of God. The shattering and the bruising are so designed by God for the preparation of his spokesman. As pastors, we understand what it means to be frail. God will not despise a broken and contrite heart, as it says. All of God's giants have been weak men. Every man that sits on this platform is a weak man. Every one of us is frail, feeble, and apt to faint. The greatest gift you can give your congregation is a genuine model of your humanity. Admit your weakness or your unresolved conflicts and then let yourself be broken about it by God. It may be between you and your wife. It may be between you and your staff members or a staff member. It may be an unforgiving spirit or even alcoholism or incest or pornography. It may be gluttony or plagiarism or a critical spirit. It could be the sin of pride or those sins that Jesus hated most, those of hypocrisy. Release it to God. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. We need to be broken in order to be used by God's. In order to be used by him mightily, especially. I want to finish with two things. 
Mark DeVries, in his book, Family-Based Youth Ministry, he has a comparison of childhood faith versus mature adult faith. And on the left is childhood faith. On the right is mature faith. Childhood faith says good Christians don't have pain or disappointment. Mature faith says God uses our pain and disappointment to make us better Christians. Childhood faith says God helps those who help themselves. Mature faith says God helps those who admit their own helplessness. Childhood faith says God wants us wants to make us happy. Mature faith says God wants to make us into the image of his son. Childhood faith says faith will help us always explain what God is doing. Things always work out. Mature faith says faith helps us to stand under God's sovereignty even when we have no idea what God is doing. Childhood faith says the closer we get to God, the more perfect we become. Mature faith says the closer we get to God, the more we become aware of our own sinfulness. Childhood faith says mature, mature Christians have answers. Mature faith says mature, mature Christians can wrestle honesty with tough questions because we trust that God has the answers. Childhood faith says good Christians are always strong. Mature faith says our strength is in admitting our weaknesses. Childhood faith says we go to church because our friends are there, we have great leaders, and we get something out of it. Mature faith says we go to church because we belong to the body of Christ. And that's so true. I, I couldn't have put it any better. But that's the mentality. That's where mature, immature and mature Christians are. And again, I'm not beating on immature Christians. We're all immature in different areas. But what God wants us to be is mature. You know. And if you see maybe someone that is less mature than you in the faith, you don't look down on them. You build them up. That's where the encouragement comes in. That's where your life as being consistent and faithful comes in. That's where humility comes in because you're being a model for someone that is uh, less mature than you in Christ. It's not about saying, I've arrived and you haven't. It's about building up that person. And don't ever look down on your brother and sister in Christ if they're just struggling with something. Build them up. Build them up instead. I want to leave you with this one scripture, and if you don't have it memorized... Um, this is one to put in the memory bank and have the Holy Spirit help you out with. It's Galatians 2.20, and I'll read it to you. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what being a mature Christian is all about. It's acknowledging your weaknesses. It's understanding your position to your Lord and Savior. He lives in you now. I live by faith in the Son of God, not my own faith. And I die to myself daily. I carry my cross each and every day. And you know what? Through that all, he loves me, and he loved me to die for me, and he gave himself for me. For me. And just put your name in there. He did all that for you. Because he wants you to be spiritual and mature. He wants when those fiery darts come, the shield of faith just goes up. It's not even an issue. Not even an issue. He wants you to be humble. Not so you could say to everyone, I'm humble, which would kind of defeat the purpose. <laughs> 
No, he wants you to be humble so that you could be a model for a Christian that maybe isn't humble or maybe has a pride issue or maybe someone that's just coming up in the Lord knows that, hey, I, I admire that guy. He's humble. I want to be humble too in the Lord, not in that person. It's about consistency. It's about being an encourager. And it's also about being broken. We need to be broken. It's not fun. It's necessary, though. Let's pray. Hey, I, I admire that.